Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. I had this image of you inside of me. Like a podcast of me. Okay. I don't remember that. That's the opening line of the film. Okay. And that's the opening line of a new miniseries. Wow. Crack. You hear that sound? Is that us cracking open a new miniseries? Yeah, we've cracked it open. Okay. Like a champagne bottle. We crack it open. Great. And then drink from each half. Inside, I don't remember that. that uh... That's the opening line. They repeat it. Yeah. Okay. The, that's the opening okay. narration, and it's like a yeah, 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 and media yeah. res, and then they bring it back. No, later in the right, film. I remember. I, I was remember. trying to find the longer one. Uh, look, hey, great, hey, hey, great, 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 great. Look, great. you know what we're doing, great. We don't need to go into this. I'm David Sims. I'm Griffin Newman. All right. This podcast <laughs> is called Blank Check with surprise Griffin and David, the two friends, the two friends. Maybe you heard of us. Yes. Um, th- this is a new miniseries. Yeah, it's our podcast. We talk about movies, talk about directors. We yeah. just finished a big old series on on a director. Pod Night Shamacast. And now we're going to do a new one. The Podchowski Casters? The Podchowski Casters. Yeah. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. The Podchowski Casters. Because we're here to talk about the Wachowskis. Yes. Uh, so th- this is... Um, we, we like to pick directors. Every once in a while we do a one-off, but we like to pick mm-hmm. directors and go through the filmography and try to get a bigger sense of who these people are. You know, our friend J.D. Amato, past and possibly future guest of the you show. Loved, you love referencing this quote. He said that he thinks all movies are about their filmmaker. Sure. And so it's interesting to look at a career, Yeah. you know, and, and we're, we're watching things in linear time. So you see a movie, three years later a new movie comes out. Yeah, and then you're like, okay. But no, yeah, of course, we're watching everything in this larger context. But but also in a condensed time period, which makes yes. it interesting. And we're watching movies made by directors who yeah. get a blank check from Hollywood, and yes. that's the premise of our podcast. That's and that's what we do. Of that's the podcast. ostensible premise of this show. Yeah. And we came up with the Wachowskis like a six months ago, and we're finally doing it. If not longer, we had yeah. this idea almost. Uh, concurrent with the Shyamalan idea because we were like, yep, let's, no, no, let's no, make yeah. sure we have two you ideas. You had Shyamalan and I had Wachowskis. Yes. That, that I think that was, we, we came up with a pretty, you know, similar time. Now, the Wachowskis at the time, interesting choice. Now, yeah. a more interesting choice. Correct. Uh, born Andy and Larry Wachowski. Sure. I think about four years ago. They were born four years ago? No, I'm saying four. What? Four years ago, I I don't I don't know the timeline. I believe, uh, uh, Larry came out as a transgender woman mm-hmm. and uh, reintroduced uh, herself to the world as Lana Wachowski. Yeah, I think I think Lana came out sort of, you know, having come. It, 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 it was it was a slow process, about, but, but yes, it, uh, yes. around when Speed Racer came out, so 2008, so like yes. eight years ago. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. uh. Already made their films very fascinating, right? Sure, sure, sure. Because their films are very prominent much... Hollywood directors, yes, but who make pretty weird, challenging movies for considering that. 
on a big budget on, mainstream often level. Often on a big budget mainstream level. Yeah, but very odd mainstream studio films. And they're also all about uh, identity. Absolutely. And the sort of like transience of identity mm. and our physical bodies in relation to our human spirits. All these interesting things, right? Yeah. So you start to look at it through that prism, you go, huh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, sure. Right. Well, they used to, you know, they used to build themselves as the Wachowski brothers. And right. like now, now they're the Wachowskis. And you're like, oh, that's, that's crazy. And I think they were erroneously in the wake of the Matrix, viewed as these hyper-masculine filmmakers. Yeah. Because people just, were looking at the wrong I elements. I think they were tagged as like, and we'll get to this, yeah. you know, but they were tagged as like sort of the ultimate like kind of nerdy bro types who like, you know, like, you know, ladies with guns and like skin tights, you know, I mean like the Matrix yes. got ripped off in so many bad ways that maybe, and maybe that sort of got tagged I, onto I think, the Wachowski. Yes, I think of, people like looked at the things that the people, people who, who didn't understand the Matrix. And like liked. violence, yeah. right. guns. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, About a month ago. Yeah, really recently. Really recently. And, uh, and much more like the... Uh, Lana's transition was like uh, kind of like talked about for years. And it was like, a gradual you know, thing. There like, were there were murmurs, and then there right. was a while before she finally sort you of know, came out publicly yeah, addressed yeah. it and everything. Right. Um, this was a sudden sort of much more like surprising yes. uh, thing, at least for me. I mean, I'll admit I don't follow too closely the uh, personal lives of most directors. Yes, uh, Lily Wachowski, right. uh, the second Wachowski sibling. Uh, it came out that the Daily Mail was about to out her. And she right. took the bull by the horns uh, in a very shitty situation as reflective very of Very shitty situation. Garbage world I'm constantly reminded yeah, we live in. You know, we live in a garbage world. One of these garbage worlds we live in. Uh, and and uh, wrote a, a piece about her, yeah, her journey it's worth to reading. this point. Yep. Um, so, you know, statistically the odds of uh, two siblings in one family being transgendered, very small. Don't. Don't know nothing about statistics. It I don't seems, either. It I seems, don't know. But yeah, I don't know. It, it seems rare, right? Which makes it interesting. Uh, and then you also go like, okay, so they're they're two siblings in the same family. Mm. They work they're together. Filmmakers. They work. We've together. never had a major transgender filmmaker before, and now we have two of them. They explore these themes in their movies and in right. ways both major and their TV show uh, yeah. in ways both major and minor and sort of you know obvious and subtextual and. Now, that's not the only prism we're going to view their films no, through. No, I mean, th th honestly, I had, when I proposed this as the blank check, you know, it's that more obviously, it's yeah. like, kind of like Shyamalan. These are guys who made The Matrix, and I use guys in a gender neutral sense, but, the, you know, yeah. they made The Matrix, uh, and it was a huge, out of the box, crazy hit. That, Second like, movie, unlike, humongous. You know, unlike yeah. anything anyone was prepared for, this like weird R rated movie was this huge, like, you know, surprise smash. And ever since then, they've gotten to make the most bonkers movies, like you can imagine, what? with the biggest budgets. None of them have hit. I mean, That's you know, the thing. yeah, none of them have the really. Matrix hit. sequels, yeah, I think, made a profit or whatever, yeah. but were disappointing relative to the original. And like, you all know, all these movies were pretty much disliked. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. were other always, than Matrix Reloaded, financial disappointments. Always had fans, but critically disliked out of the gate, you yeah. know, almost always sort of rediscovered a couple years later, maybe, for their, like, traits, you know, their good stuff, like movies like Speed Racer, right? Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, which we've talked about on this podcast. I think in our very first episode, we talked about how much we like Jupiter Ascending. Uh, the, the the Netflix series Sense8, which mm -hmm. I think is coming back Yeah, uh, for a second season. Yeah. 
The Wachowskis. The Wachowskis. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the Wachowskis. We're talking about their first film today, so Bound. So excited. Yeah, we're going to talk about Bound today. Uh, but before we do, little little housekeeping. Oh, okay? major housekeeping. Guys, it's been a crazy time. It's I've been got a crazy cold time. as well, so if you can hear that in my voice. Because you, you folks at home. Oh, boy. You just, you just every Monday morning, you yes. open your podcast app. Ooh, nice clean episode. And you're like, oh, hey, blank check. Here we go. Back Backstage, boy, chaos. Ooh. Oh, Our schedule's boy. been all over the place. It's been a lot of uh, difficulty getting getting a new episode out every week, banking some up, not being for a while, trying to sneak in, whatever. Not important to you, but this is what is important. Last week, we recorded two episodes in one go. Yes. We recorded the very secret of MH Two very loopy episodes. Very loopy. We were feeling both pretty loopy. <sighs> when we were running behind, Griffin's career has been very uh, chaotic as of late. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. But, you know, it's been hard to pin you down. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we uh, recorded two at once. We recorded Buried Secret, which you've heard at this point. Yeah, a, a dissection of an unseen movie that nobody watched. Yeah, that is. no one makes sense of. Although I will say, uh, our friend, friend of the show, Caroline Anderson, mm. uh, works for Comedy Bang Bang. Hey, Caroline. A, a wonderful human Shout being. out, Caroline. Uh, I uh, saw her recently, and she told me that she, in fact, not only watched Buried Secret in preparation for our episode, oh boy. but rewatched because Caroline is to date the only person I've ever spoken to who watched that live when it aired on oh, the Sci Fi Show. Wow, wow! So she rewatched it. That's crazy. I didn't think anyway. I thought I got a zero Nielsen rating. Yeah, I did too. Apparently, it, one person is so negligible they rounded down to zero. But I think Caroline was the only one who watched it live. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that episode, right? And by the way, if you've also if you've listened to it, it's a thing. It's a thing, <laughs> and you should give it a shot. We were we recorded a second episode right after that. We were feeling double loopy. Mm-hmm. This is an episode we'd promised for a while. We usually like to do a little palate cleanser. It was a Sunday afternoon. We like I to think. do a little palate, a sherbet in between mini series to cleanse the palate, right? Mmm. Mm. Yeah, we like to we like to intersperse. Yeah, a little bonus between major series, mini series. Right. Right. So we did a, a long promised. Uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice bonus episode that was alternately titled depending on who you ask. Oh, who cares what it was titled? Griffin v David Dawn of Ben or Watchmen v BVS Dawn of Snyder or something dumb like that, right? Yeah. We were pretty loopy. Oh, boy. It was pretty ramshackle. Yeah, it was It was the worst episode we've ever recorded. I think, bar none. I was going to try to talk around it, but yeah, it was the worst episode we ever recorded. It was a piece recorded. of garbage. I think about 45 minutes in, we realized what was happening. Yeah. And we didn't save it. But we at least, we proceeded to just be weirder as a result. We threw a lot of shit at the wall, and then we sort of said to Ben, like, well, it was probably a good 45 minutes of there, right? Like, we talked for an hour and <laughs> yeah. a half. I remember, Ben, when we were done recording, Ben, you just leaned in the microphone and, it's, like, spoke to your engineer and just was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was telling Brian, who helps edit the Intern show, Brian. I yeah. am so sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is going to take a lot of time. So now, that, that I don't was... want you to think that we haven't released this episode because it was bad. We were going to release we it. We were going to release yeah. it. We no, have no vanity. Was... It was going to go out there. I believe in this being a warts and all show. Right? I think we have tolerant fans, and I want you to understand the narrative of what we're going through psychologically yes. on a week-to-week basis. But the Lord God himself <laughs> reached down from the sky yes. and corrupted the audio of this episode so profoundly. Like every... every <laughs> it cannot be released. Like once a minute, five seconds of audio dropout. Is that accurate, Ben? Yes, yes. Is it more frequent than that? 
No, it's like every few minutes or so, yeah, a couple of seconds, but enough where it's just like you lose context of the terrible things we're talking about. Because, yes, we're talking about awful things, but we're also in our classic style going like so fast through like so many dense different like bits upon facts. I mean, literally, we started this episode thinking we were going to talk about Watchmen and Batman versus Superman. An hour in, we're like, oh, I guess we're just not going to talk about We're just only going to talk about bullshit. Yeah. Oh, God. It was dense and it was was messy, right? David was yelling. And so the audio, I was yelling. Oh, you're yeah. yelling. The audio was was so bad that we were like, "This episode's barely gonna make sense." It, it's it not, already barely made sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not. It's gonna be difficult to listen to. So this is our current plan. We had long promised that we were gonna do a Batman versus Superman episode. At this point, the movie's been out a month. I don't know if literally anyone, nobody cares about the movie. Everyone's chewed it up, digested it, shit it out, ate the shit, shit it back out again. They, right? They, the shit. Yeah. they did. They, they ate the shit. They drank the diarrhea. Um. They. I made a face at that. No, no one needed us to weigh in anymore. Nope. And I think about 15 minutes in the episode, we were like, oh, no one needs us to weigh nope. in on this anymore. But there was the much ballyhooed aspect that we were going to cover. <laughs> it's true. It was much ballyhooed. It was much ballyhooed. Uh, uh, yeah, you, let, let me, I'll just summarize this. Yeah. You and Ben saw the fucking movie in 4DX. Wait, who? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, wait, David, who who are you talking about? Oh, here we go. Producer Ben, a.k.a. Producer Ben, a.k.a. Woo! The Menducer, a.k.a. Yes. The Poet Laureate, a.k.a. That's the Haas, a.k.a. Mr. Positive, a.k.a. The Tiebreaker, a.k.a. Birthday Benny, a.k.a. The Fuckmaster, mm. <laughs> a.k.a. The Peeper. Yeah. Not Professor Crispy. But. He is. Ben Knight Shyamalan. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, everybody. How you doing, Kylo yeah, Ben? Right? Yeah, yeah, Kylo Ben. Uh, but you know, he's 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 in there in the booth. Man and, of uh, many names. <laughs> man oh, hello, Fennel. Hello, Fennel. Uh, well, right, we right. greet. We yeah, greet him. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Fennel. Um, no, you you and Ben saw it in 4DX, which is some sort of like radical like punching technology, like <laughs> you know, viewing experience where the seat like sucks your dick or whatever. I don't like. Then it's it sprays like, you in your face with yeah, water. It just First sounds of all, terrible. That's, cr- that's very crass. The I know, I'm not, a very crass person. The seat does not suck your dick. It performs fellatio <laughs> upon you. I'm a crass person, and it sounded like a crass experience for a crass movie. It was. It's like if you wish that all movies could be Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, 4DX <laughs> has risen to that challenge. Yeah, it's like that Terminator movie where they face like the T1 million. It's like a spider. Oh, you're talking about Terminator 2 Battle Cross Time? Correct. That's Which has been about. replaced by Shrek 4D. Because I recently went to Universal Studios two days ago. Yeah, yeah. And boy, Shrek 4D, not a great movie. Can I say this? <laughs> Poorly written. Shit, really? Like I walked but out I of heard it. Tom Stopper did a pass. <laughs> yeah, right. I walked out of it not being like that's a shitty amusement park ride. I was like, that's a bad movie. Like that's a poorly directed, okay, acted, guys, and written film. We don't care. It's also like Griffin, twenty-five. We're minutes recording long. this episode late because Griffin was held over in Los Angeles because of his fancy job as a superhero in a TV show. I, w- I was getting fitted for my superhero costume, and let me tell the audience because I know they've been very invested in this. I can assure you, the costume. The current plan is for the costume to be. Two separate pieces, so I will be able to poop while wearing it. So Not while wearing it, but easily get out did, of it. And, did and poop. you talk to three-time Academy Award winner Colleen Atwood about needing to poop? Absolutely. Not okay because she designed the costume. Am I correct? She did correct, and she has three Academy Awards from eleven nominations. Yep. She, Can you guess the three nomin three wins? I know the three. All wins. for not great jobs, in my I opinion. Think good work. Memoirs good work, of a Geisha. But not her best work. Memoirs sure. of a Geisha is one. Number two is Alice in Wonderland. Correct. Number three is Chicago. That's right. Which is really uh, well designed. 
costumes. Yes. The other ones, it's like eh, I hate those movies. Uh, she did. Uh, she did so many great, Edward so many great movies. Uh, oh yeah, she's worked with Burton a million times. Silence of the Lambs. Correct. Yeah. She was a big Demi uh, person at the beginning. Yeah, Mars Attacks, uh, Gattaca. She designed fucking the fucking Martian Spy Girl, Planet which is one of my favorite-looking characters of all time. Yeah, Mars Attacks, great design. Anyway, uh, let me say yeah, this: Sweeney Todd. Also, also like one of the most badass human beings I've ever met. Oh, yeah? She's like a Suffer No Fools, Mince No Awards. Makes sense. Like, awesome, awesome lady. Costume designers, man. Yeah, so uh, she she's making a superhero suit to fit my stupid body. Yeah, and, and a stupid body it is. It's really dumb. I, for you listeners at home, I cannot oversell how dumb my body is. Isn't like, it great that there might be new ep- listeners to this episode, by the way? Like, yeah. Who'd be like, oh, let's jump in at the pod, <laughs> podcast, Podchowski casters, casters or whatever. Yeah, and then you're hearing me talk about being able to poop in a superhero costume. I did not say anything to her. We were like- You were silent. Fitting stuff. I was totally silent the whole time. Uh, we were like fitting stuff, and then she was like throwing ideas, and she was like, what do you think if we like split this in two so it was like a jacket and a bottom part with a belt in between? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I think that sounds great. I think that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she presented it, and I heartily agreed. So you're not in a jumpsuit, is what you're saying, basically. You're not in like a one piece. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's, it's a little closer. To, uh, the current Flash costume on sure, on the sure, CW, sure, where sure. it looks sort of like Great two show. pieces, but it's kind of continuous. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Flash poops a lot. Uh, good costume. I like it. Uh, was very hard for me not to cry when I saw myself in it. Very exciting, guys. Can't wait for you folks to see it. But anyway, back to this. We saw it in 4DX. Oh yeah. No. Okay. So. Let's just move on from this, but we, you guys saw the movie in 40X. We chatted about that for a while on I, this lost episode. I think that section was the- It might be worthy of release. The one part of value. So, so Ben's going to go through, try to clean up the audio, but I think we're going to release it like a 15-minute b- b- yeah, bonus y- episode. Yeah, you guys might get a little chunk uh, later in the week. Yes. Uh, just just for funsies. Because that's the thing you it's want to hear. It's just for funsies. It's just for funsies. So Don't take it seriously. Just stop taking us so fucking seriously and wait for the funsie episode. And if it doesn't come out, you know what? Tweet angrily at uh, at. Ben Hosley. Ever since we got rid of on Podmas, everyone takes us so seriously. Do they? So seriously. Thanks for the Podmas write-up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. I think we talked about that. Yeah. Okay. Podcasting. Podchowski casters. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I like that this is flipped because, like, last season I had a hard time with our title. Yeah. And this season you're you're having a tough time. I mean, I like it, though. I like the title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bounce. Yeah, so. The year is 1996. That's correct. The Wachowskis. The Wachowskis are a couple of, you know, young writers in Hollywood. Midwestern? Like, Where are they from? Uh, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. they're from Chicago. Yeah. Uh, they're Polish, like mm-hmm. many a Chicagoan, you know. They probably ate a lot of kielbasa and, you know, what, what do people do in Chicago? Like Griffin uh, Nooms over here is also Polish. I don't know if you know that. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have some Polish descent. You know, I mean, it's Jews. Yeah. You know, I think, I'm, just, I think yeah. I'm like three-fourths or something like that, maybe. Yeah, I'm mostly yeah. Lithuanian. Ooh. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, they are some a couple of Chicagers, and they, they went, I think one of them went to Bard College, my, my brother's alma mater, mm-hmm. and one of them went to Emerson College. So, you know, nice kind of goofy liberal arts, you know, arty schools, and then they... Uh, these guys are big uh, thinkers, wrote, right? They wrote comic books a little bit, I think. I think they worked at Marvel in their younger years. I believe so. And I think they also very quickly yeah, right. um, they, they start wrote, like script doctoring, doing passes, punch wrote, up. Uh, Ecto Kid. They wrote a lot of like Clive Barker. Remember Marvel had like weird yeah. little Clive Barker stuff? It was great. Yeah. But I think they also were credited on Assassins, perhaps? Well, this is the thing. They wrote yeah, okay. a script for Assassins, which yes. was a crappy 1994 action movie starring uh, Sylvester Stallone. And Antonio Banderas when he was still figuring out how to like speak English. And Julianne Moore? 
Uh, yeah. Weird yeah. cast. But, you know, Julianne Moore post, like, her five minutes in The Fugitive, you know, like, early Julianne Moore. Right, but pre, Vanya, like, one of our Vanya finest Vanya actresses. on 42nd Street Julianne Moore. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Uh, Julianne Moore's still figuring it out. Um, anyway, not a good movie. No, so did they write the original? Where they the, wrote it the was script. their spec script that then uh, got butchered. Warner was Brothers picked it up, okay. and gave them like a two picture, you know, two script deal or something as part of that pickup. Yeah. Then director, Bri- uh, f- later director Brian Helgeland, Oscar mm-hmm. winner Brian Helgeland, who mm-hmm. wrote L.A. Confidential and directed a lot of movies. He like rewrote the script. He's credited to Richard Donner made the movie. It sucked and was its huge bomb. Yeah, people. Didn't it's a like bad it. movie. No, I've I- seen like twenty minutes of it on TV. Um. So. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they write The Matrix and present to Warner Brothers as one of the two films in that deal. And Warner Brothers, they have two notes. One of them is, uh, by all accounts, this is the legend I've heard, is sure. they return the script with a post-it note saying, what is this? <laughs> Can you explain this to us? And we'll get to The Matrix. Right. But, uh, but, but by all yeah. accounts, they were like, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. We just literally had that script. don't sure. understand the script. So the Wachowski sat down, explained the Matrix, the look, understood, you know, hey, here's how it's going to make sense visually, all of this. And Warner said, okay, now we get it and we like it. We have no faith that you can pull off a movie of this size. You haven't directed a movie before. Absolutely. So they said, like, if you've made another film, we feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, a lot of this... Legend that yeah. I've also heard is from Joel Silver, who is the producer of The Matrix and is a legendary Hollywood fatso awesome man who <laughs> yeah. wears Hawaiian shirts and has produced a million movies, half of them awful, half of them great. Can I tell a really good quick and sidebar story? Sure. Uh, my father would bring me to like, uh, uh, you know, things sometimes. There were, uh, I mean, Joel Silver is a parody of a Hollywood producer. And I love the man and I think he's made a lot of fun movies and he's always fun on camera in like, you know, documentaries and DVD extras and stuff. Yes. Um, but he's just kind of a hilarious like, well, I told the boat. You know, go ahead. Go ahead. My, my grandmother works at a film festival in France, right? An American uh-huh. film festival in France. Oh, boy. They, uh, one year when I was like 12 or 13... We're doing a tribute to Joel Silver. Sure. So there was this big Joel Silver thing. And my dad was like, like 48 hours, die hard, all his yeah, classics. Predator, yeah. The yeah. Matrix, The sure. Hudsucker Proxy, Hudson Hawk. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my uh, dad was like, Do you want to come to this party? Because I, I was a big fan of a lot of Joel Silver movies, right? Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he's talking to someone who's like, uh, I, I, I will not name him for the sake of, uh, you know, not. Go ahead. Go ahead. He was, he was a higher up at Warner Brothers at the time. Which okay. is where Joel Silver was situated. That's mm-hmm. where his shingle was placed. Silver right? pictures. Right. And my dad went up to him and said, hey, how are you doing? Went, hey, how are you? Da, 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 this and that. And there was a woman standing close by, but none of us knew who the woman was, right? Okay. And um, the Warner Brothers, my dad said to the Warner Brothers guy, "Come on, um, hey, this is my son Griffin. He's uh-huh. 12 and he hates Hollywood phonies. Which yeah. I don't know why my dad said that. My yeah. dad would always try to line. create a, a, a fucking context for me, right? Whatever. It's a funny line. And the Warner Brothers guy goes, well, you want to you talk about phonies? This fat, disgusting fuck in the ice cream colored suit over there. And he points over to Joel Silver. Uh-huh. And he goes, this is the grossest, phoniest, blowhardiest. Like, like does, he, does he know it's Joel Silver? 100%. He's so like he's a higher just, up at okay. Warner Brothers and where Joel Silver. he's just ragging on Joel Silver. And he's like... I'm going to have fun saying this to this kid, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And he's ragging on Joel Silver. And he's like, piece of shit phony in this entire business. Uh-huh. And then the woman goes, hey, that's my brother. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That's a good story, right? Decent story. Yeah, decent story. 
Did he uh, apologize? He went, uh, this is what my dad did. My dad went, of course he is, and we love him very much. Griff, I think it's getting late. We should head home. Good call, good my dad call. immediately good removed call. himself Just from that situation. Get out of there. Uh, Pistol Pete Newman does not like social discomfort. Awkwardness. Yep. Anyway, so Joel Silver has often said, I think what you're about to say, which yeah. is like, you know, Warners was like, okay, this Matrix, I don't know, but we're, we need we need something from you guys to prove that you can direct. You're untested. This is a huge project. And so Silver says they made Bound as like an audition piece. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, here we are. This is a small budget movie, but like, you know, look where we're putting the camera. Look at like how we're like uh, yes. turning a, a little into a lot, basically. This was like a, a one or two million dollar movie? No, it was a little more. I think it was a six million, yeah, six million dollar movie. Okay. Um, and so they, the Wachowskis, I read interviews where they've said like, oh, that's a little over, you know, we wanted to make Bound, you know, essentially like, but I'm who sure knows? they want to make Bound and it fits into a nice mythology. It's certainly interesting that they made a pretty small budget movie that basically takes place in two rooms. Yeah. There are two apartments. Yeah. And was a clearly shot like 90% on sound stages. Correct. Yeah. And then of course transitioned to the most definitive action epic sci-fi masterpiece of cinema that has not yet been equal. Yeah, I don't mean to imply that Bound was like means to an end. No, I, no, I, I don't think, think it's so. a, a a fully passionate film of theirs that they wanted to make. But I also think it was like strategically like e- even you look at how much style is in this film, Absolutely. and it's like they want to show with limited resources what they can milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you talk about I mean like that the Matrix is something that hasn't sort of been met since then. It hasn't. I have often said that, like maybe uh, Mad Max, like you know. Yeah, but I, uh, I mean, like, I know, I know it's ninety nine, but let's say like twenty first century. I think the two movies of the twenty first century, love them or hate them, whatever you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. that like came in with like a completely new aesthetic. new aesthetic that hadn't been crystallized before, elements before, and sort of changed the game are The Matrix, uh, and I would argue the second one's Napoleon Dynamite. I'm not even going to begin to discuss. I that. said love it or hate it. I don't. Not going to begin to discuss. But you know that. what I'm saying. Both but of those movies. Whole, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole. That's indie. That's whatever. But, but I say this to make a point where it's oh, like yeah. you rarely get something where it's like, well, now the whole thing's changed, and now I, you're going to get 20 I'm years. I'm not of people getting sucked into a conversation about Napoleon. Dynamite. I'm trying to refocus this on the Matrix. Okay. But I'm saying I think they had similar effects on their respective genres. Okay. And okay. I think the Matrix. Yeah, it's like everything exists in the shadow of the Matrix now, to one degree or another. We live in a post-Matrix culture. We do. And if you're making like an action film, if you're making a sci-fi film, if you're making anything like that, you're either influenced by the Matrix or you're consciously choosing to not like copy the Matrix. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. But, but let's that's not talk the about the Matrix about. next week. Yes. We're talking about Bound. Just trying to set this. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And like they're Bound is sort of bound to the Matrix. You oh. know what I mean? All right. All right. But I mean, Bound comes out in 96. David, three. David. David, David. Two comedy points. <laughs> that is too many. Uh, you know, and it it comes out three years before The Matrix, comes out in 96. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about it with uh, producer Ben before. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of has that great trashy 90s vibe yeah. that is so common to so many like 90s crime thrillers. Yes. Kind of the, the after effects of De Palma kind of like washing up on the like shore, all these like crappy De Palma knockoffs. Uh-huh. Like Barbette Schroeder's uh, Kiss of Death. You know, and and all, and yeah. then mixed in with the, I guess, with the Tarantino, like we can just do pulpy noir movies again, right? Yeah. Like you know, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, things to do in Denver when you're dead, like all yeah. these, like you know, forgotten '90s. Crap. I pretty much every David Caruso film. I said Kiss of Death, but <laughs> yeah, also Jade, Jade <laughs> S- Sliver, 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 Sliver. Is it yeah. called Sliver or Silver? Yeah. I always forget. Yeah, I think it's Sliver. Yeah. How about True Romance? 
Yeah, Trevor yeah. Benson, you know, that's the Tarantino thing. But yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah. it's just, it's like, what's it about? A bunch of garbage people. What do they do? They fucking kill each other. Over what? Eh, money. Like, <laughs> you here's, know. here's the Are thing. There, is there some sex? Yeah. <laughs> if you were flipping through the channel, I think it's a smarter movie than the movies we're talking about, but it Infinitely. has that vibe. Well, this is what I was going to say. If you're flipping through the channels, you know, yeah. like cable 98, pre-DVR, so you can't get info on the title you're watching, right? right, right you're right, flipping right, through. Right. If you saw like two seconds of Bound, you'd be like, it's an episode of Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah, because it has a slightly stilted quality of the dialogue. You know, it stars Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon. Yeah. Who are Gershon? G- G- Gina Gershon? I always Gina Gershon. Yeah. Uh, who are not like, you know, renowned thespians <laughs> otherwise. And they're good actors, both yeah. of them. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, like, Gina Gershon's probably most famous for Showgirls. Yes. A movie that is known for being, like, Bad. you know, right. I mean, right. Showgirls is the apex of this kind of movie, right? Paul Verhoeven, I forgot to mention him. You know, yeah. like, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, all the Joe Espinosa movies. By the way, I movies. would love to fucking do a blank check because he's one of my Absolutely. favorite filmmakers love of all Verhoeven. time. Love Verhoeven. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Showgirls is a film that was like notorious for how disastrous it was, and yeah. now and has it sort come of out gotten... a year before Bound, I think it's ninety five. Yes. I think yeah. And there's like a balance between people who like love it because they think it's terrible, and people who think it's brilliant, and other people don't get it. Yeah, it's but a... it's like you know, oh, let's get the second lead from a movie that just lost a tremendous amount of money. Uh, and the reason they got her, I think, is because she's perfect for the role and perfect in the movie. So good. Right. Same but for Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly coming off an Oscar nomination for yeah. Bullets Over Broadway, and you for know, doing the one thing she can do. Let's say absolutely that. a well-deserved Oscar nomination. I, I think Jennifer Tilly's great, but she's definitely you know yeah you know she's got like she's like a sort of a breathy yeah sex pot like she's awesome, but she she does like one thing really 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 well. I'll say this about both Gina Gershon and Jennifer, Jennifer Tilly, Tilly and she's an incredible poker player. Yeah, well, I want to talk about Jennifer Tilly a little bit because her life is a little fascinating. Jennifer Tilly had been around for years. Yeah, just doing stuff. She played a, a Gary Shandling's girlfriend on its Gary Shandling yeah, show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, she shouldn't. Yeah, she on that. Uh, she like pops up in things like I don't know, like the Fabulous Baker Boys and the Doors and stuff. You know, like she'll yeah. just sort of like have little bit parts and yeah. stuff. And then yeah. she just her gets, sister Meg Tilly an Academy Award yeah, nominee. I was going to say Meg Tilly, but yeah. And yeah. then she, she just gets an Academy Award nomination when she's hysterically funny in Bullets Over Broadway. It's just like a perfectly cast, tailor made role, right? Absolutely. Um, but she she on it's Gary Shandling show meets uh uh Sam Simon. Oh sure, the writer, prodigious right. comedy writer, R.I.P. producer Sam Simon. R.I.P. Sam Recently, Simon, yeah. the youngest uh, showrunner ever in network television history. Okay. Um, they get married, they get divorced soon after. And post-divorce, he becomes one of the creators and executive producers on The Simpsons. Yeah. He leaves The Simpsons after season two, I believe. Three, maybe. Or yeah. after the early, you know. Yeah. But as executive producer and co-creator, yeah, developer, he's always there. he retains residuals for all aspects of the show in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And so a legend that I love is that Jennifer Tilly has never remarried because the second she remarries, she stops becoming entitled to... No, but, Spousal support. Oh, I see. Because they divorce, yes. but it's like right. But now Sam Simon is deceased, so I don't know. Jennifer Tilly's also like like a World Series of Poker like that's winner the other thing we have to well. talk so, about. Like, Jennifer Tilly's like low key one of the, the great best life poker players in the world. Jennifer Tilly's like swimming in money. Um, but but I just always like the idea that like oh, any man she ended up with was just like just so you know, there's no possible world in which we get married. Because um, I'm on that Simpsons train. Hey, right I don't know. I mean, look. If you got it, flaunt it. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon, I think, both fall into a category. They're like loaded gun actors for me. Where it's like, 
it's a lot of responsibility if you're going to put them in a movie. You got to know how to use them. This is the thing. I don't want to diss either of them because they're I'm not both dissing fantastic. Either of them. No, I know you're not. Yeah. But it's like if you look at Jennifer Tilly's like IMDb page, yeah. it's just like there are these nice little moments in it, like Bullets Over the Broadway. Bullets over the Broadway. Bullets uh, over the Broadway. You know, Celia bound. in Monsters Inc. Uh, she's, Celia, she's very the funny receptionist. In I mean, she's got one of the most like distinctive voices. In Hol- like you could still do a Jennifer Tilly impression, and people would still get it, even though Jennifer Tilly is not like re- like in yeah. a lot of movies these days. You could do a Jennifer Tilly. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Thank a you. little breathier, but it's pretty good. Jennifer Tilly. Uh, you know, and then like she's in like Bride of Chucky, but she's also in oh, yeah. fifty million other movies Correct. that you've never heard of. Correct. Um, uh, Lover. I mean, she's in Liar Liar, which I've seen a million times, yes. and she's very funny. Very in it. funny in that. Uh, no, what I mean to say, I'm not dissing either actress, but I think they. Gina both- Gershon is like more of like a cla- a great classy stage actress. Yes. who does like all this amazing stuff on Broadway and off Broadway. Yeah, and then also kind of like a queen of Hollywood trash for some reason. Right, right. As a movie star, let's just say, right, the Gina Gershon like Hollywood persona as a character, mm-hmm. in line with like the Jennifer Tilly persona are both things where, like, I think they're incredibly strong actresses. So good. When well used. But in the hands of bad directors, they can both be catastrophic. Yeah, because the bad directors, are, or, you know, will just be like, yeah, you'll just play, like, the other woman, or you'll play, like, right. some sort of, like, tempting lady, or, or, like, some kind of mean Hollywood lady or something. Yes. I don't know. Well, oh. She's in what she's in, like, let me, I'm looking at her now. She's in, like, Red Heat and Cocktail. She's in The Player. Those are, like, her early roles. Mm-hmm. And then after, again... It's like after that nice year with Bound, it's like, what's she, like the 14th lead in Face Off? What is she in Face Off? Oh, she is Nicolas Cage's baby mama in that film. Right, right, right. Who John Travolta as Cage, like, teams up with. You know, she, like, pops up in good movies like The Insider, but she's not, like, a major part of them. I'm sorry, I just need to correct my previous statement. Do you know who Gina Gershon is in Face Off? Sure. She's the person to whom Nicolas Cage says, I'm going to take his face off. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. That immortal line is delivered to Gina Gershon. Uh, with the, with the hand motion. Face. Yeah, for the listener at home, we're doing off. the motion. Uh, but, you know, I mean, again, I, you know, she's like a Tony nominated actress. So I, love, I love Gina Gershon. I do too, but but yeah, people can misuse her. It's a loaded gun, you know? It's like- We've really gone down a long road with these two actors. I think it's important to state because it's like, if you you walk into a video store in 1997 and you see a a box and it's like, oh, here's an erotic thriller starring Jennifer Tilly and Jane Gershon, you go, ooh, that sounds dangerous. I mean, it sounds- That's risky. That's a good call. I (laughs) mean, in England, it's rated 18, uh, which is in England the highest rating. You know, things aren't rated R, they're rated like 15 or 18. Yeah. Most movies are rated 15. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to be extremely violent or extremely, extremely explicitly sexual to get an 18. It's got a bit of both. And it's got a little bit of both. Yeah. And 18 is like a red eight, like circle with an 18 in it. Yeah. So it really kind of has like a slightly scarlet lettery, like this is a, you know, intense, bad movie. And so when you see it on the on the VHS shelf, you're like, yeah. ooh, yeah. okay, all right. right. This looks gamey. You I know? Mean, and like the tagline on the poster is sex and crime forever. That's the tagline. Yeah. I don't know what kind of a tagline that's supposed to be. And the poster is like them tied together. Yeah. In like this very sort of like sort of suggestive S&M way where in the movie, the like the titular moment where they're bound is very much like a, a terrifying, upsetting yeah. thing. Like it's not like a like, ooh, we're binding right. so each other. let's move on from perception and move into the actual movie, which is great. This movie's fucking great. So good. This movie is so, so strong. It's like an insane debut film. Yeah. It, I mean, I just, I tried to, 
Watch this. I'd never seen this film before. I thought I had, but I had. Yeah, I thought I had too. I think I'd only seen certain scenes. Weirdly, I had not. As yeah. much as like, yeah, I'm sure, you know, obviously it has like a couple of, sex, really just one sex scene that's kind of like. Yeah, it's got one. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you watch it, you're like, oh, this is like a nicely done. It's not like uh, a particularly like um, <coughs> over the top, like. Ooh, oh, I agree. You know, what, like, yes. When I was the like, word I'm looking for, uh, like cheesy. salacious. Yeah, 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 sex scene. When I was like 14 or 15, I was like, "Ooh, this scene sounds great." Like, mm-hmm. looked it up, found it. You know, probably downloaded off Kazaa or whatever it boy, was. Boy. You know, it wasn't hosted in any sites or whatever. <laughs> and then watched it, and I was like, "This is disappointing." And I then want I to acknowledge, by the way, it is outrageous and offensive that the two of us, two boring straight guys who <laughs> suck. Are talking about this fucking landmark movie? I know. It sucks. I know. It sucks. I know. Like and an it's important like, cornerstone. Of I'd queer rather cinema. have yeah. a guest on this episode, but our timing has been terrible. terrible. We haven't found. You know, it's just terrible. Terrible. Whatever. So yeah, that's. We, this, I really oh, apologize. Yeah, I, that's another piece of housekeeping here. Just like table setting, because my schedule is a little crazy right now. This might be a guest light season. That that you know that's fine. We're great. It's just, just we just want just, you to know. But we this just episode, want you to know. I'm just particularly upset. I know we're we're just, a bunch of jamokes and we shouldn't be fucking talking about this. Anyway, but we love it. Yeah, no, it's a great movie. What I was going to say was I watched the scene when I was 15. I was like, mm-hmm. eh, what's the big whoop? And then I watched the scene in the context of this movie, and I was like, that's a great piece of cinema. Oh, it's awesome. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, as masturbatory material. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Like that, most, masturbatory? That's like, not how you pronounce that made-up word. Like most great art. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to masturbate, you'll be disappointed. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I the do. The best I just art wanna, should not be I masturbated to. Glide past this as quickly as we can. Masturbatory. No, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean it's actually a well done scene. It's, it's not a great fucking a scene. scene. It's not a like, scene it meant not for a fifteen year old to download off Kazaa. Yeah, sure. yeah, right. It's yeah. a real piece of cinema. Yeah, uh, the Wachowskis uh, worked with um, a. I need to look her up. A sex educator called Susie Bright, who's like a legend in the. Uh, you know, like. I, I, sex education industry. She's like a feminist writer, like uh-huh. she, you know. And they were like big fans of hers, and they wanted to like get the scenes right. I don't know how, you know. I mean, I think both Tilly and Gershon are straight actresses. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Perhaps, I don't. I, I don't. I, I actually. Don't, I, you know, I mean, yeah. to Sam Simon, you know. So, yeah. But uh, it looks sliding scale. I mean, you know, we all exist in shades of gray, I, David. I think the Wachowskis were pretty intent on not making a gross, porny lesbian thriller yeah. that was just about boobs, you know. Yeah. And like, they wanted to get the sex scenes right. There's lots of focus on hands. Yes. There's a, uh, Susie Bright has talked about like that this is a wet movie rather than a hard movie. Like if that makes sense. Like you yeah, know, that makes sense. It's, it's not like yeah. this like aggressive male sort of like sex thriller, and yeah. uh, it works. I'll say this: it's it's and like you know the bar scene where Gina Gershon goes to the gay bar. Like yes. that is all Susie Bright's buddies, including Susie Bright, like all the customers. You know, all the patrons who. Gina oh shit! Susie Bright is with. the one because I looked at IV. I, I believe. believe Susie Bright's the one that she hits on. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right. Um. I, I will say this. I, I do think this is maybe the most erotic film I've ever seen. Oh boy. But it's like intellectually erotic. It's, it's it's a great movie. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, we're watching two pretty ladies kiss. You know, I'm human. Gets a rise out of me, whatever, you know? Ben, but, you have anything to say about this? Um, I mean, Gina I Gershon. cut that off. Gina Gershon, I got to tell you, as a 90s kid, mm-hmm. I had a major 90s boner. Telling you right now. Well, because like in Showgirls, this which is, is such a gross episode. <laughs> yeah, I, so I really gross. want to move past We're this. We're handling this, this is a great so episode. incorrectly. Yeah, it's yeah. crappy. Yeah, I'm not into it. No, 
Yeah. Um, no, what, what I mean to say is I, I found this film almost unbearably erotic because, oh because of David. Oh my God. David. Yeah, 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 yeah. The way the Wachowskis film it, yeah. edit it, yeah. and sort of create the tension and the chemistry between the two of them. It's not a very graphic movie. And and thus we will move on. Right. Yeah. But but I'm saying this film like <laughs> builds up like a fucking like a hot kettle. You well, know, it's like steaming well, up. Well, the thing about this movie is, um, I think if you went into it, you would think like, oh, like these two are gonna get together at the end and it's gonna be like this sort of big like climactic thing where like yeah. their romance kind of finally like, you know, comes into the forefront of the That's movie. It's like minute twenty? Yeah, it's basically the movie is like Gina Gershon, she's out of jail. She's playing a Her character's name is Corky. Yeah. Which a, is really a, fun. A work a day jobber called Corky, an ex con. Yeah. Fresh out, she's uh, she's working for a mafioso. Sort of doing maintenance in the building. Yeah, and she's basically cleaning up some apartment, you know. Yeah. Like, that's now empty. Right. And next door lives uh, a sort of, like, you know, a capo, you know, some some mafia guy. Named Caesar. Named Caesar, played by the wonderful Joe Pantaliano. How do you say it? That's how you say it. Yeah, I think Pantaliano, so. you know, yeah. he's the best. Joey Pants. Joey Pants, the legendary Joey Pants, who yeah. would be in The Matrix later, and obviously he's in The Sopranos, he's in The Fugitive, he's in the Zillion Fucking I would he's argue. Risky business. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's also, he's great in Midnight Run. He's great in Midnight got Run. The dope. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, got the dope. he's always been a classic, like, angry little Italian guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's in Memento. He's wonderful in Memento. Yes. Oh, he's so good in that. Yeah. I forgot about that. But this yeah. is, like, kind of, like, a perfect um, vehicle for him. Like, they, they just, like, Perfectly harnessed everything that's incredible about him. Yeah, absolutely. In this film. And also, they gave him a lot. I mean, he lot. is not a supporting character. He's, he is almost he's the third, third build, lead. Yes. And I'd argue he's almost an equal lead of the film. Yeah, absolutely. It's always mean, interesting because it also hands it off hands spotlight. Off, right, right. Yeah. Corky is kind of the main character of the first 30 minutes. And then uh, Jennifer Tilly's character, Violet, is kind of the main character in the middle where she, they're sort of hatching this plot. Yes. And then Caesar's kind of the big character at the end. I agree. The third act, I think, is really his his spotlight. It's a pretty tight... Uh, no, it's not, I was going to say it's like an hour 40. It's like an hour 50. Yeah, it, it's pretty long, yeah. actually. But anyway, so Corky's next door in this empty apartment. She meets her neighbors who are Caesar, this mob guy, and Violet, and Violet his, like, basically, who's basically like a gangster's mole. Like... <sighs> Yeah. You know, she she's like sort of dressed to the nines at all times, and she's very obviously like they've been together for years. But she sort of serves this like arm candy function. Yes, uh, she's like a gangster's mall. And There's this great scene early. Well, no, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no. What were you gonna say? I was gonna set up something further. Yeah. Well, there's this great scene early on. Well, I mean, basically, Corky, who is like obviously like an openly gay woman, mm -hmm. like uh, pretty early on, hooks up with Violet, and then I love this scene where Caesar comes home. Yeah. And they're kind of, they're just in the apartment, and he reacts to Corky, who he thinks is a man because it's like dark and white beater, short hair yeah, from behind, right? And he's like, "Hey, what the fuck?" And it's like, you know, there's just this weird, like, it all, it just, it's all there that like Caesar's like, "You are my property, and you are not allowed to be with any men, like clothed, not clothed in right. this apartment." No. Then she turns around, he sees it's a woman, and he goes like, "Oh God!" Oh, and he's like, "Forget it." Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, never mind. And it's just, it's like, it's a great scene to just set up like, yep, yeah, this is an antiquated person. Yeah. Like the idea that uh, Violet would be gay or anything like that yeah. never even enter his brain. Yeah. But it's just like, if you were in here with another man, like you are dead meat. Even if you're, we've been together for years, like it doesn't matter. There's a lot of really sharp economical storytelling in this movie. And it's also like, it's one of these thrillers that's just like tight as a drum. Like it runs like, like a clock, you know? 
And um, especially since it's really there's one scene where Corky goes into this gay bar, as we said. Yeah. That I think is really just there for kind of color and like just a little bit of characterization. Well, that's also the first time we find out that. No, that's not the first time we find it. But there's that great scene where she goes in. She goes up to the woman. She starts hitting on her. The other oh, woman comes up. Oh, we find out up. she's an ex-con. Exactly. Kind of. That's where exactly. you find out. Right, right. right. I was trying to remember if that was the first time we find I, I, out. It might be. But, but the way but, they show that is she's hitting on one woman. Another woman comes over and goes like, oh, Corky, huh? Yeah, what are you right. doing? I didn't know you were out so soon. And then flashes her badge. And Corky's immediately like, okay. Right. Yeah. But if you get tired of Cagney and Lacey, come find me. You know? Uh, yes. Um, so you get a sense of her character, it. her attitude, her sexuality, the way she interacts with other people. You know, this is a woman who doesn't fuck around. Right. And she's an ex-con. Right. And she and, and she's not flustered. She and just as she says, she comes to the lead. bar and she's like, I'm looking to get laid because yeah. it's been a while. Yeah. Clearly. And um, but what I was gonna say is apart from that scene, mostly this takes place in these two apartments. Correct. In this empty apartment Corky's working on. Yeah. And this kind of lavish mobster apartment that's next door. Yeah. And other the than walls that, are thin other as than that, we keep Oh, well, that's the thing I want to like set up. That's like a crucial thing which I to this movie. love in this movie. Now, this movie shot by Bill Pope. The great Bill Pope. Who is a great cinematographer who's like the master of like in-camera effects. He like shot The Matrix. He shot Spider-Man, the Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man 2, I think. I think he shot all three one. of the Raimi ones because he's a Raimi guy. I think he, he did, did Army of think, Darkness. Yeah, he did yeah, Darkman. Yeah. Uh, he shot Scott Pilgrim versus the World. He's the fucking best. And he's he did, one of the most underrated cinematographers alive. He's never been nominated for an Oscar, which correct. drives me crazy. Uh, he shot Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Uh, I believe he shot the pilot, so he like set the look for right, it. Right, right, right. Um, the other thing he shot, I think one of the most underrated cinematography jobs of the last 40 years, True. he shot Team America. Oh, yeah, right. Which is Another this crazy challenge, which is like yeah. making- A movie I can't stand, but- Oh, I love that movie. I hate that movie. He like made it genuinely look like a Michael Bay film. Yeah, at, no, like, no, I agree with you. Like, the look scale. is perfect. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. But, uh, and uh, he's got all these sort of camera passes. I mean, like you say, Tavi, soundstage where he'll like sort of, jump from one apartment to the other in these yes. seamless moves like over the wall basically oh, the over the wall just shot. to give you an idea of yeah. like how tenuous the wall is and like how obvious the uh you know it, you can hear one through the other that's another thing i guess when i like keep on harping about how erotic this movie is half of it is that no but half of it is I'm i get rolling my eyes i have such a heart on it the fucking like mise-en-scene in this film do you no, know what I i'm agree. saying uh, yeah like the yeah. fucking craft in this film like we're saying it's the wachowski's kind of showing off yeah consciously or not yeah and saying, like, look what we did with a little money. Yeah. Imagine what we could do with a lot of money. Yeah. It's these two parallel rooms. The wall's really thin. They set that up early, which feels like a very Hitchcocky device. This whole movie feels very Hitchcocky to me. And that it's uh, like. Yeah, I think they, all, they they have said Billy Wilder. Uh, you know, like the, the noir Billy Wilder movies, yeah. like Double Indemnity, I think are a big influence. But there's that element of like. Where they, it's like everyone's kind of a gangster. Yeah. You know, and like, and like, so that kind of forgives any obvious. Like, cause like Jennifer Tilly, Violet just is like, I wanna have sex with you. And Gina Christian's like, okay. Even yeah. though it's like, dude, maybe a bad call. Yeah. Mobster's girlfriend yeah. next door. Like, maybe you don't wanna do that. Yeah. But you're just like, well, this is what's happening. Cause this is about like kind of, you know, edgy people. But I also think that scene at the gay bar sets up that she's a lady who flirts with danger. Literally. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. That's true. That's you true. You know? I think that's why that scene's important. I also, I think that, um, God, this movie's so good. The, the fucking, movie. the thin wall thing, it like, it, it sets up like a language going forward in the film. So anytime any conversation's happening on one side of the wall, there's this immediate tension of like, can it be heard on the other side? Mm. They, they use, um, that like, um, that fear, that like unknown of like what's happening on the other side of the wall a lot in the film, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they call it out and they use it. Sometimes it's a thing in the back of your mind. There are these two phones that they use to communicate with each other. 
that are like right on the opposite sides of the wall. There's a great yes. fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. scene where they track from the phone cord on one side of the wall through the wall to the oh God. Good movie. Okay. So But I was just about Bill Pope, just to finish. This yes. is a little anecdote. They had another DP, I don't know who. Interesting. And the DP said, This is a six million dollar movie. I can't do the camera moves you want yeah. with this budget. And so he quit. And Bill Pope was like, nah, I can do it. You know, and like, you know, like Bill Pope worked within a very small budget to achieve some fairly ambitious stuff. But I think that's like the Raimi school, you know, like yeah, Raimi absolutely. is like a guy who does like crazy camera moves. Like he has a very expressive camera. And until Spider-Man, he was doing it on a very limited budget. Yeah. And mind you, like Spider-Man. Well, and The Matrix. The Matrix is 99. Yes. Yes. Right. I forgot. Yes. Um, but um, Spider-Man was a movie that like he had a big budget. And what he do? He like had this crazy inventive like innovative idea, which was like, what if we get a helicopter and a wire and we attach the camera to the bottom of the wire on the helicopter? Right, and that'll get that sort of swinging And like, film the effect. plates from that and then right. CGI Spider-Man into it, which is like still the best depiction of Spider-Man in motion in any <laughs> of the films. It's true. It's very true. Like just those sequences are so perfectly realized. Um, anyhow, back to Bound. Uh, Bound's great movie. And uh, so the plot is, let me just, I'll just recap the plot real quick. Sure. You've, so you've got these two women and they meet and they hook up real fast and maybe they're not in love with each other exactly. Like, it's not like they're just professing like, oh, you're the greatest woman there's I've ever met. There's a real met. energy But there's there. a strong connection yeah. that is like very apparent and very well played by both Tilly and Gershon. Gina Gershon, in fact, very early on She's in so the film. good in this movie. Yes. Very early on in the film says like, we're very different people. Right. You know, like you're, she sort of implies that Jennifer Tilly is like looking for an experience. Well, and there's also this judgment that I love where Gina Gershon, like she can hear Jennifer Tilly having sex through the walls with multiple partners, mm-hmm. I believe. Right? Yes. I think there's the implication different, there. Different men of this sort of crime family. And yeah. she's like, kind of like, eh, you know, what am I going to, you know? yeah. and Jennifer Tilly pretty like dresses her down and says like, you know, I'm not judging you. You don't judge me. That's my job. Like, you know, like, like says, I've, I've fallen into this situation and it's a, the situation I have, but this, like. It's work we both right. have done in our lives what we need to do to survive. Right. Like, yeah. you ended up in jail, and this is my jail. It's, it's like being it's stuck in this line. apartment with these shitty men, you know? Right. Um, but but very that's the thing. This beautiful thing in the film is very early on, Gershon is, like, attracted to her, but is like, we're fundamentally different people. And the movie is them starting to realize how similar they are, which is that line I, I mangled at the beginning of the episode, was, like, this idea of them becoming, like, one, mm. you know? Yeah, bound. Yeah, bound together. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so she, you know, Tilly works with this mobster, lives yeah. with this mobster, right? And uh, he, she, you know, he is has a bag of money. Yeah, <laughs> he has a bag of money that's covered in blood. All movies should just have a bag, bag of, money. of money. Bag it's of money. Two million the best. bucks in a paper bag. Yeah, it's covered in blood because a whack, a sort of more wacko mobster who's a little like you know uh, off the rails, played, played by, by Christopher, a young Christopher Maloney, the great Chris Maloney, one of his earliest roles, one uh, of our finest actor. He shot someone in vicinity to this bag of money, and so yeah. the bag of money is covered in blood. So Corky, I mean not Corky, uh, Caesar. The mobster has to lawn, literally launder the money and make it clean again. But in, in like a perfect encapsulation of how this film is, is no detail is unimportant. Mm-hmm. Like everything serves a larger purpose. That becomes this point of animosity between the two of them mm. where it's like you made me have to clean this money. Right. Because you got overzealous. Yeah, because you shot this a guy. guy. Yeah, right. Right. And then it's like uh, a Joey Pants punches Maloney to get like as punishment. 
for the thing. Yes. So there's this tension between the two of them. He's pissed off already. Right. So, like, Tilly and knows Tilly about notices the money. Tilly this. Yes. Sees the tension and is like, there's room and to play And goes to Gershon and says, we can exploit this. We can basically, you can take the money. Yeah. And I can imply to Caesar that uh, Chris Maloney took the money. Right. At, you know, while we were out. And yeah. then that will be enough. You know, he'll realize that he's in trouble and he'll get out of town. Chris Maloney's dad is, is like, like the, the, the chief. The, the godfather. The mobster. Right? Yeah, exactly. And the idea is that if the money's missing... He'll Should, know Maloney took it, or he, you know, if he Pants Maloney, will know that Maloney took Pants. it, but Pants will also know that they'll think that, that he, he can't win, right? Right. So he's like, all he can do is go on the run, yeah. and then they—that's their plan—run away with the money and become happy, happy people together. So living it, their own you know, free life for the first time, not having to make these concessions. So play it's the a game. fairly simple plan. The plan yeah. is essentially we steal the money, yeah, and then we leave together. When you're watching the movie, you're like, well, this is riddled with problems, it's, this plan. It's an overly simple plan. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, what the movie, what works about the movie is there's not like, this is not some Ocean's Eleven shit. No. Corky's going to take the money. Yeah. Violet's going to make Joey Pants think that the another guy stole it. Yeah. And they're hoping that he's going to take the hint and just get out of Dodge. And then they can escape scot-free with the assumption that the money just... You yeah. know, vanish into thin air. Right. They'll Basically, spend their time looking for pants right. rather than looking for them. Joey Pants thinks Maloney took it. The mobsters will think Joey Pants took it. Like, and it's, it's sort of like- No when one you, will look to that. It's when you go to one friend's, you know, one friend's house says that you're at the other friend's house. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like the old teenage switcheroo. And the plan is so simple that the crux of it, like the fulcrum of their plan revolves around a bottle of whiskey. Yes, you know, around it's like, Tilly dropping a bottle of whiskey. What if so I they break a bottle of whiskey, go out and buy a new one, and then pretend that I saw the guy outside, which will freak Pants out. And much like so much of this movie, which is like <laughs> bound up in identity, <laughs> like Tilly, you know, Violet is playing on this like thing of like she knows that Caesar's going to need a particular bottle of whiskey yeah. to impress this particular mobster who's going to come over and collect this money that's yeah. like freshly laundered. Everything needs to be right. Everything needs to be perfect. The money needs to be like ironed. There's this great image where they're hanging every hundred dollar bill over these like clotheslines all over the apartment. Yeah, so good. Good movie. And like, and as long as Tilly maintains this image of like, oh, I'm just like your ditzy girlfriend who dropped a bottle of whiskey and like, uh, uh you know, then like they can carry this off. Mm-hmm. So good. Uh, agreed. And then of course it falls apart. Everything goes uh, to shit. But it also goes to shit pretty early on. Like, That's what's fun. The whole thing happens in the middle of the movie. Right. So, like, at, like, minute 40, there are, like, plans in place. Here we go. And by, like, minute 50, everything's fucked up. Yeah. And so the next hour of the movie is, like, how do they get out of this as this just becomes worse and worse and worse and worse. And their plan was also very much based around their, like, um, their sense of, like, human intuition. Like, mm-hmm. this is how we believe people are going to behave. Right. And they misjudge everyone, you know? So yeah. it's like, I guarantee you, he's going to do this, she'll do this, he'll do this. Yeah, it's and a then, lot of, right, guessing at human motivations. Right. And What then, happens? Like, everything goes wrong. Everything gets Maloney tr- shows up yeah. with his mobster, with his godfather of a dad. Right. And Joey Pants kind of snaps, thinking that he's stolen the money. Right. Which they didn't think he'd do in front of the dad. Right. They thought that he would just take the bullet or run. He calls them on it. And in a fit of rage, he he kills Maloney. He shoots him dead. And his father. And then he shoots his dad dead. Who's who's the El Chefe. Uh, yeah, uh, who's played by... Uh, I 
can't remember the actor's name. Uh, Peter Spellos? Yes, and then and then also a henchman. He kills three big important people. And that like sends the whole thing off the rails because now he's like, okay, like how do I do this? Like how do he's he's basically like, how do I survive this? You know, like, yeah. is there a way for me to like get this money back somehow? And at this point, yeah. the movie almost takes place in real time. Yeah. Like, I'd say the next 45 minutes maybe take place in an hour. The cra- and the crazy and thing is, like, yeah. it's just, it's um, Joey Pants and Tilly. Yeah. Gina Gershon, we cup to her quietly. On the other side On the, the other wall. side of the wall. She hides the money in a can of paint, which yeah. is brilliant. Two cans of paint. Two cans of paint, you know, yeah. in plastic bags. Yeah. And she doesn't do anything. She's always connected to the action, but she's right. not uh, actually involved. Yeah. But there's this passing of the baton. Like, mm-hmm. Gershon's the main character at the beginning of the film. That when the plan starts to come into place, Tilly, it's like she's the one who's like, we should do this. And it becomes her film. And then when things go off the rails, it becomes Pants' film because it becomes this horror movie of these two women being like, is there any way we can make this right again? Right. You know? Um, and also now because he snapped, it's like he could kill us. Like all bets are off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also uh, becoming increasingly desperate and manic. Right. Which is like a great mode for Joy Pants to be in. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a treat for us to watch. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this. You see, you see a lot of Joy Pants' body in this movie. Yeah. yeah. There's a whole scene where he's in a towel. Yeah, but he's like holding the towel just in front of his dick. It's like you oh, see all that scene. other parts. But then yeah. there's a subsequent scene oh, where yes. he, like a tw- 10 minute like tension. If not like, longer. Yeah. yeah. Where he's showing, like having a showdown with another mobster. Yeah. Where he's just wrapped in a towel the whole time. But there is one scene where he is holding a towel in a way I've never seen someone hold a towel before in my life, which is just like lightly in front of his wiener. <laughs> I've done that. But you I've see like that. the sides of his hips, yeah. like you see like everything else. He's just like draping it. Yeah. I love Joey Pants. Great actor. Uh, did you know that he wrote, uh, he founded a nonprofit organization called No Kidding, Me Too. <laughs> Did you know that? No. About entertain people in the entertainment industry <laughs> who have suffered from clinical depression. Oh. And the idea is like when you say like, well, actually, I've uh, suffered from depression in my life. And like it, yeah. when you say that to someone, the other person goes, no kidding, me too. Oh. Uh, anyway, I love Joey Pants. I do too. Uh, uh, I think it was my buddy Jesse Knight, who is a film writer, Jesse Ryan Knight. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Uh, I keep kicking you. It's fine. God. Don't worry about I'm, it. I'm very, uh, you know... Uh, uh, fidgety. You're antsy today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I think I I hope I'm not misattributing this to the wrong person. I believe my buddy Jesse Ryan Knight, who's a, a great guy and a good uh-huh. film writer, a great uh-huh. film writer. I mean, it uh-huh. sound like he what, was. Like, what about him? He tweeted, "I can't believe it's been ten years since Joey Pants wasn't even nominated for Bound." Uh, he must have tweeted this uh, ten years ago. You mean twenty years? Oh yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I I don't know. He should have been nominated because he's great. It's a great performance. Uh, and it's like a full meal, like it's like a guy getting a chance to really dig in in a way I don't think he'd gotten the chance before. I mean, but it's also a great, a great like um, portrait of like at the beginning of the movie, he's a big shot, he's well dressed, he's got this nice apartment, he's yeah. got this nice girl, and like of like his masculinity, his like his whole image just being eaten away from the inside by like forces he doesn't even understand. Yeah, it's like fragile masculinity at its at its f- most fragile. His biggest yeah. flaw in this movie is that he cannot conceive of the idea that Jennifer Tilly, yeah, Violet would be working with Corky. Right. You know that like that they would have a connection. Yeah. That they would be in love or anything like that. I mean, he eventually figures it out, but it takes him. I don't know, an hour and a 25 minutes. Like, it takes him most of the movie to figure it out. Yeah, because he he's so arrogant that he can't 
fathom the idea that Jennifer Tilly would want anything other than to be with him forever. Yes. You know? Even though, like, what the fuck does he offer her? Like, right. Jesus. Well, there's that great line where he says, like, you know, what, what does she offer you? It, 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 she's, she gives me everything. That, well, I, I'm getting fucking misquoted. But there's a part where it's like, what does she give you that I can't? And Jennifer Tilly, I think, says everything. <laughs> it's like something like that. Um, it's great. It's a great movie. I mean, like, let's not spoil the ending in detail. I mean, maybe we should. I mean, I don't know. It's like, there's this whole subsequent, as we said, like third act where Joey Pants is trying to hold it all together. He's trying to act like the mobsters never showed at his apartment when right. they're actually like in the bathroom. The bodies are like being kept in the bathroom under the sink. Yeah. Like cops show up and they kind of get around the cops because the cops heard like gunfire. That's a great scene. But this is like such a Hitchcocky sequence where they like so Hitchcocky. The cops come in. Oh, and Joey Pants pretends that he's hard of hearing, and he has like a gangster movie on the TV, really and that's loudly. what the gunshots were. Right. It's great. He's got a gun tucked into the back of his pants the whole time, so you don't want him to turn around the whole time. It's uh, so weird that the Wachowskis never made another movie like this. That yeah. is like so like hinges on those little tense little like you know setups. That's so small and focused, and like it's one of these movies where you have to lean in and like pay attention to every detail because it's like everything shifts the entire standing of the characters. You know, like any sound. Oh God, the fucking sound in this movie is right. unbelievable. But they they come in and Joy Pants is like, ah, oh, you want a beer or something? And they're like, no, but I could use the bathroom. Oh no! And Pants is like. Okay. But you that's know. where the body is. But but he, you know, he knows he can't break character. Right. Guys, great movie. Dead you really should check it out. in the bathtub. So the guy goes in the bathroom and you he see pees, blood dripping see from blood the curtain. Ripping. And it's like, is he going to notice? And then the cop's looking around and he's like, real nice apartment you got here. Right. And Joy Pants has just re- like moved all the furniture to cover up all the shit. Right. And you're like, is he going to notice? And he's like, nice place, nice place. And he steps on a rug and the rug goes like. Yeah. And he put the rug over like this immense pool of blood. Yeah. So you see blood seeping out of the rug and getting on the guy's shoe. And you're like, is he going to notice? Is he going to notice? And so in these great movies where you're like, in a dumber movie, that would be like the hinge. And that would become a plot point. He has to shoot the cops. But this movie is like so much about like things going wrong mm-hmm. that you can't predict that also like things go right. The cops never notice that he's got like blood on his shoe. Right. And then these mobsters show up. Yeah. You know, these like other mobsters, the, the sort of major mob characters played by Joe, John Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they show up being like, oh, well, where's the boss? Like, well, you never got the money, you yeah. know. And they have that dialogue where it's like, hey, moved all the furniture around. And like Joey Pants is like, yeah, you know, Jennifer Till, you know, Violet. Violet wants to impress everybody. Yeah. Know? And yeah. they're like, huh. Ladies, am I right? You know, yeah. like, again, they cannot conceive of the idea that the women around them would have any independent sort of thought or action. Are smarter than them. Yeah. That's would the ever big, be fl- it's, it's just like, oh, yeah, of course she moved the furniture around because she's a dumb broad. Yeah. Hey! You know, it's, <laughs> no, it's like, the it, best. It's very much a fragile masculinity movie. And I also think, um, okay, so here's something. I uh, Once again, as mm. like a, a shitty, stupid oh, piece of, of garbage. Are going to talk about eroticism again? No, but, but I, I mean, I'm going to try to talk about this in the correct way, right? Jesus Christ. Because I think this is an important thing. Wow. I, I'm wow. probably going to fuck this up, right? You know, there's there are a lot of, uh, I've read a lot of really good pieces about, like, the male gaze in cinema, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And how, like, most male directors, if they sexualize a woman, it's it's sort of very uh, mm-hmm. objectifying, sure, sure. you know? And this movie watching it, maybe it's through the prism of knowing everything we know now. It is. But I look at it, it's a movie that's very obsessed with their bodies. 
Yeah, I guess and so, not in a yeah. titillating way, yeah. you know. I mean, there's not very much nudity. It's this one shot, essentially. Well, the the, the sex scene that, that I mean, I think that everyone talks about from shot. this movie yeah. is this very cool, like, yeah, camera move that sort of goes like down one side of the bed and loops around it. Like, it's really well done. Yes, it's not. Yes, it's not the classic like pan down of like a person's naked body right. thing. That's sort of like when I know, say the movie's obsessed classic, with their body. Like, red shoe diaries, yeah, or right. you know, whatever. When I say the movie's Vaseline obsessed with their the bodies, yeah. I don't mean that like the movie's obsessed with their tits. I mean like the movie's obsessed with their like existence. You know, like them at being human females. And there's even, like, the first time they kiss, maybe my favorite shot in the entire film, mm. is, like, their two lips essentially in shadow. Like, you just pretty much see their two lips in super close up, uh-huh. okay. getting closer yeah. and closer to each other talking. And I feel like the film at points, like, fragments, like, oh, God, look at their hands, look at their feet. Like, yeah, look yeah, at all yeah. there's a things. lot of focus on the hands. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, and once again, I'm speaking as a shitty white guy. So, you know, write you in if I'm wrong. Straight guy. You're a straight guy. Right. But or a I, straight guy. Yeah. It, the You're straight great. is more important Apparently than the white guy. Apparently, you downloaded a scene from this movie from Kazaa. Yeah. I was a piece of garbage. No, right. Whatever. You're yeah. a teenager. Yeah. I was a teenager. But um, I, I look at this film, mm-hmm. and from my perspective, where I'm speaking from no point of like, you know, knowledge or intelligence from this place, I can't speak for other people. I feel like this film doesn't really have that same sort of male gaze. I look at this movie and I think it shoots yeah, no, it its does, characters it very differently. Being, yeah, totally. And I think it is because, you know, for reasons that are now like a lot more obvious, not to psychoanalyze this thing too deeply, this is a film made by two filmmakers who have this like immense fascination and respect for the female body. Yeah. Not as like something to covet, you know, but as something of like this this is like Griffin made the point. Made the point. I think you did an okay job. I did an okay job. And I should let's move on. Get out of here before yeah, okay. it becomes problematic. I'd like Go to ahead, add ben. to uh, uh, this in the sense that uh, I'm, I kind of saw this movie uh, from a millennial kind of perspective. Uh huh. Um, so we we left off talking about how the mobsters show up, right? The second batch of mobsters, the John Ryan uh-huh. mobster. Yeah. I guess I couldn't help but just think, like, situationally with this whole film, like if there were cell phones. Oh, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, and it was like almost refreshing again, like to remember those days. Uh, it's just it's interesting with like modern movies now. We're going to have to deal with the fact that everyone can be in touch with everybody at all times. There, There's a, a, a plot hinge in this movie that is the phone being off the hook. Right. Yes. Which is something that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that is correct. And the equivalent is, I was on silent. Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it's weird to think that way, but it it's, it's also, actually a thing now. It's it, like yeah. it's also interesting because the Matrix is literally all about cell phones. Yeah, and it was yeah, like totally. the first movie to be about like where the cell phone is this like powerful prop. But there's also, I mean, the remember, opening like, owning the Matrix phone was like an early thing. Like yeah. when kids started getting cell phones, you get that, that slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, th- but the opening of the Matrix is Trinity using a payphone rather than a True. cell phone. I mean, it's phone based. We're talking about Bound. We're talking about Bound. Great movie. Um, no, but we'll get to the Matrix. You just, I, I do agree with you, Ben. That like Ben, I agree with I'm, Ben. I'm, I'm joking. Go ahead, Ben. Benjamin, no, don't do ben the whole Hosley. thing. <laughs> don't do the whole thing. I mean, he's no, not I was gonna just going to say your name, Benjamin. Oh. Yes, sir. I agree with you that like I, I see movies like this and I get depressed thinking about how much advancements in technology have made plot lines, like, unnecessarily simple. Mm-hmm. You know, because now anyone can do anything at any time, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there are also things where you're like, a phone being off the hook, that's so visual. 
Well, and the 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 image of Corky in in the empty apartment with just the phone on the floor is great, and like she's basically just waiting for you know like it's all to be over, like in the apartment. It's great. But there's like ten minutes of the movie where in the background of all the shots, they're in the bedroom. You see the phone being off the hook. They're not calling attention to it, but it's there as a visual element. So when they call it out later, you're like, right, of course, I noticed that. Whereas the equivalent today would be like you'd have to do a close up of a screen. And look, then the little I, bell with the, the I, line look, through I agree. it. <laughs> or like, I'm at, you know, you know, does anyone have a charger? Oh, yeah, no, my right. phone's dead. Like, it's just, it's so much, like, more inelegant, you know? Well, yes, I agree with you guys. But, yeah. hey, man, this movie was made in 1996. I know, that's the best part. Okay, so here's what I'm going to throw out. I think all movies should be set in 1996. <laughs> anyway. That was the last good year. Anyway, let's just wrap up the plot of this movie. Okay. It all comes apart. Uh, Caesar eventually figures it out, yep. like that. That Corky is involved. He figures it out via the phone ringing in her apartment, mm-hmm. and um, he ties her up mm-hmm. and like throws her in a closet. You know? Hey, there's some fucking great fighting though, too. Yeah, let's not, yeah. Let's not forget that. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. Gina Gershon gets a couple of real like cold cocks in the Joy Pants. She's yeah. awesome. She's she's cool. like the greatest. She's in this movie. cool. Um. She just never lets her kind of like mask drop, like her sort of impassive, you know, persona, yes. even even when she's being genuine. And you get when she's being genuine, but she yeah. just always perfectly in character. I love her in this movie. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So you know, he but then he has to make a deal with Violet to kind of play along because he's trying to fool these other mobsters. Because now Joey Pants is in the in the soup too, because mm-hmm. he killed Chris Maloney and he killed the Don. So great scene. She's in the bathroom. He's like, don't fucking do anything or I'll fucking shoot you. Like, don't get smart. Gina Gershon's in the closet. And uh, he's, you know, she's all bruised up now. Mm -hmm. And he's like, just stay here. Yeah, I'm going to pretend that I was in the shower. Yeah, he tries to distract the mobsters. Yeah, I didn't hear the phone ring because I was in the shower. And then Tilly calls him. Yes. And says, like, just pretend like there was a car accident. And that's why the mobsters didn't show up. She calls and pretends to be Maloney. Yeah. And it's like, I'm creating a fake phone call for you so that you have an alibi and the story checks out. But then she's also like, I'm also getting half the money. Like, do as I say. Yeah. Yeah. And so he he tells the new mobsters this. They buy it. They leave. And then how does it exactly? I mean, it plays out that Corky kills Joey Pants. Corky kills Caesar. Yeah, they... um. Uh, Caesar goes to get no, the money. No, Violet kills Caesar. Yeah, no, Violet. Right, yeah. of course. Sorry, yeah. There's a great... There's no, which a, is crucial, of course. Yeah, yeah. no, Cor- yeah, Corky finally... I mean, Caesar finally gets it out of Corky. The money's in the paint cans. He goes to get it. Yeah. You know, he's finally vulnerable. Violet, with a weapon, points a gun at him, and he's like, if you were going to kill me, you know, you'd have killed me before. Like, I know you're not going to kill me. And she says, like, uh, Caesar, you don't know shit. And then yeah. she... You don't know shit about shoots me. him a bunch. Yeah. And he dies like in this like big puddle of paint, and there's like so it's blood like white everywhere. And red. It's, it's great. The best. It's the best. Can I talk about another sequence I love? When Jennifer Tilly's trying to get away, and she runs down the stairs, and there are these great. Oh like, yeah, these these sort of moves up and down the banisters. Yeah, right. So she's like running down the stairs. There's a great shot from like the stairwell where you're looking up and you're seeing them yeah, like it's kind of blue velvety. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, she makes it down to the ground floor before he does. And you're like, you don't understand why she's like, run, what exactly her plan is, like what she's doing. Yeah. It doesn't totally make sense. The second she gets downstairs, she runs to the elevator. And it's like, if she can get back in up. the elevator back upstairs, she has like three minutes to get the gum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's so cool yeah, to like get great. Gershon and get the gun. And it's a great low stakes action scene. Yeah. You know, like the highest, you know, like low budget action scene, basically. Like yeah, high tension, low budget. Action scenes are about the stakes, you know? It's that's not what, yeah, about, stakes like, is the wrong word. But yeah, yeah, no. yeah it's not low stakes. It's high yeah. stakes, but it's- It's just, high stakes, but it's like, it's not flashy. It's a small set piece. Yeah. It's a small set piece. But the, but the stakes are so clear. Yeah. The spatial geography is so clear. You understand what every character is trying to do. Right. And you're like, edge of your seat. Now, here's the thing. Like, if this were a 40s Billy Wilder movie or what a Hitchcock yeah. movie, you know, in a, a sort of Hayes Code, you know, Hollywood movie, like a classic noir. It'd be sort of winking. Well, no, but the, no, the other thing is, like, everyone would de- be dead or in prison at the end of this movie. Correct. Like, you know, everyone would get their comeuppance. Anyone who does bad stuff, like steals or kills, yeah. would be, like, would would meet some sort of justice. And they would imply that they were lovers, but not be able to well, actually you know, forget it. all that. But yeah, I'm of course. Bo- both elements, I think, are important. Sure, looking absolutely. at it as a film that was made in the time it was made. But yeah. here's what happens in this movie. They kill Joey Pants. They convince the mobsters that Joey Pants took the money. Yeah. The mobsters are like, hey, fuck that guy. We'll go get him. You know, I get it. You want to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and Violet's like, great. She escapes with Corky and two million bucks in a bag. The end. Yeah. And they'll go off and be happy. Just go live their truth. It's great. Be millionaires. Good movie. It's great. Great characters. Happy to see things work out well for them. For a while there, I was worried. But oh, it you all were worried out. about them? I was worried about them. I liked them. I wanted things to be uh, nice in the end. There's some, here, talk for a second. There's some famous... Thing that I want to try and find. Ben, I, I, any additional thoughts on the film for you? Um, well, I would say, in the end, I mean, fuck, the Wachowskis definitely passed the test with this. Yeah, right? It's so good. It's so good. It's and got, for the first movie, it's insane. Yeah, it's got a great story. It's got really cool visual elements. Like, you know, they set out to do that, and I'm sure they impressed the executives and got to make The Matrix. Here's another thing I'll say about it, too, right? Like, if we're talking writer-directors, right? People who are multi-hyphenates and do both. Very often, they start out being better at one thing than the other thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, a lot of filmmakers are better at one than the other. But the people who become masters, they start out, okay, they're a good shooter, and then their scripts get better, or vice versa. This is a film where, like, both skill sets are in full force. And it's actually, I mean, the thing it's sort of similar to is is Blood Simple in that way. Absolutely. A lot like Blood Simple. Here's this two-headed filmmaker. These siblings who clearly have this very close, like, like symbiotic relationship, right? And are able to just sort of, like, do twice as much work because they have another person at their side. And just this script that's super tight, Mm -hmm. this really fucking sharp, like, cinematic language, like, really, like, no-fat filmmaking. Um and just like a bold like statement of like we're we're fucking here to stay, um, we're real deal filmmakers. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted I wanted to say one thing we forgot to mention. This movie was produced by Dino De Laurentiis, another famous parody of a Hollywood filmmaker uh, producer. And Aaron Spelling. Is that right? I didn't know. The that. production company before the movie was the Spelling Company. Oh well, he's not listed as a producer, but maybe yeah. Interesting. I don't know. But Dino De Laurentiis, who was like this, you know, crazy Italian guy who made yeah. a lot of great movies and a lot of terrible movies. He made the King Kong remake. He also made like Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. yeah. Or is it Manhunter? He I think it's Manhunter. He is made Manhunter, so he retained the rights. Right. Right. He didn't do Silence of the Lambs, but then he produced all the other. He Hannibal produced movies. Hannibal and right, right. Yeah. He's always been Red Dragon, Cash Cow. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, he's um, now dead. Uh, he's also right. the father of. 
uh, Giada De Laurentiis, her right. grandfather. Something like that. Yeah. But I, I wanted to say about him is he went to the Wachowskis and in what can I only imagine was a cartoonish Super Mario Brothers accent. Yeah. Said like, uh, don't make it a lesbians. Make it, you know, get a guy in there. It's more commercial. I don't know how he actually talked. Uh, I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger on a and podcast. they refused. They were like, this yeah. is not how, like, that's not the idea of this movie. Yeah. The idea of this movie is very tied to the fact that these are two women. Uh, De Laurentiis produced the Conan the Barbarian movies. And I heard some podcast where Arnold Schwarzenegger was talking about that process. And it was Arnold Schwarzenegger doing his impression of... of Dina De Laurentiis. So it was like a hat on a hat. It was like one of the cartooniest accents of all time trying to do another of the cartooniest accents of all time. Um, my favorite thing about watching Dino De Laurentiis productions, uh, going through the credits and seeing how many people have De Laurentiis as a last name. Hey man, he was old school. I know. I'm not. I'm no, not no, saying that know, in a negative way. It's like fun. It's like, oh, Michelle De Laurentiis is the caterer. Right. 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 Like, there's just a lot of De Laurentiises. Yeah. It's a family business. Uh, the movie was not a hit by any means. It made mm-hmm. like four million bucks. You know, yeah. basically didn't even make its budget back. Yeah. But I don't think that was. It became a cult hit. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it had a pretty long life on video, and like you know, it became sort of like this. Don't make any jokes. Uh, became this sort of like you know, legendary little cult movie. It's huge on Kazaa. <laughs> that was the only joke I was gonna make. I wasn't. And, yeah, it's great. It's a great movie. And it was enough to convince, I guess, Warner Brothers yeah. and Silver Pictures to like take this chance on the Matrix script. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a big home video seller. Like, I was like, I'd have a tough time watching this movie in a theater. Like we said, these VHS, like, legends of the yeah. 90s. These, like, these these great trashy thrillers, except this is even better than, you know, Jade or whatever. You know, any- But also, if you're a film kid and you see The Matrix, you walk out there and go, I gotta fucking see what these- Well, of course. What and they- that, of course, that- Wachowskis, in- what do they make? That yeah. increased the- Where'd they uh- come from? The legend of this movie, yeah. you know, uh, way more because it's yeah. like, oh, weird. That's the movie they made before the Matrix. Can't believe I hadn't seen it until now. But you know what? It, w- it was it was a pleasant treat because I've seen all these other films. So it's like this is the one I get to discover fresh. Um, so so a little bit of uh trivia, please. I'll lay some trivia oh, on you. Is this the IMDb trivia section? It is. Yeah. Well, so you know, da, take da, it with da, a grain da. of salt. Uh, at first, uh, Jennifer Tilly was gonna play Corky. And um, the actress who was going to play Violet, whoever that was, dropped out. And they found Gina Gershon, who was like suddenly available or whatever. And Jennifer Tilly agreed she, she'd be a better Corky and Good. happily switched A roles. better Violet. She, she agreed Gina Gershon would be yes. a better Corky. Uh, good call. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gershon then uh, recommended Joey Pants. Yeah. So she brought Joey Pants on board. Interesting. They told Joey Pants to watch The Treasure of Sierra Ma- of the Sierra Madre uh-huh. to base his performance on Bogart. They liked that like as a sort of like Caesar's kind of chip on the shoulder attitude yeah. kind of performance. He's so good. Yeah. Uh, Susie Bright, they sent her the script. They loved her. And she said, like, this is a great script and the women are having sex and enjoying it and not apologizing, which is very rare for any Hollywood movie. And... Said, like, but the script's low on details for the sex scene. Can I, like, design the sex scenes for you? And mm-hmm. obviously, like, that's one reason the sex scene works so well. And the rest was history, <laughs> you know. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden audition. She would have been good. Oh, she would have been good. For which one? I, it doesn't say, but, you know, she'd probably work in either. I'd say uh, her role in Miller's Crossing is pretty similar to Violet in this. There's, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as the sort of gangster's mole. Like yeah. The classic but the one who's mall. actually sort of running the thing. Um,. That's. I mean, you can watch that movie and and put together a pretty clear parallel universe version of her being in that. Uh, Jennifer Tilly considers Violet her greatest role. 
Yeah, I'd probably agree. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's her most three dimensional, like you know, sort of like fully fleshed out role with like a lot of agents. She she's hilarious in Bullets Over Broadway, but she's playing a stereotype. She's playing like the airhead actress. You know, I, I came up with a better metaphor than the gun thing, the loaded gun thing. Jeffrey Tilly is like a really good pair of cowboy boots. And it's like you have to know when to wear cowboy boots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Like you absolutely. have to match them with your outfit. Like it has to be of a piece. Right. But great fucking boots. Uh, oof. Oh. Oof. <laughs> one, one Violet was Linda Hamilton was almost Violet. Linda Hamilton. Which she would have been a better Corky almost because yeah. she's like tough as nails. Yeah. I mean, I you, the, I mean you, think, you think of her in Terminator. Maybe she's trying to play against type. I don't know. Uh, shot in 38 Days. Um. Yeah. This is also Joey Pants' favorite role of his. God, I think he's so good in the Matrix. I would have given him an Oscar nomination for the Matrix. He's fantastic in the Matrix. He's I think I would have given him. You stick monologues great. Yeah. I would have given him a uh, Oscar nomination for Memento, which I think is one of his best performances. Rewatch Memento. I've only seen it once. You've yeah. only seen it once. Yeah. Which means I haven't even really seen it. <laughs> you know. With a film like that? You should definitely rewatch it. Yeah, I watched it once well, probably. we'll do Nolan one day, though. Yeah. I mean, Nolan's a classic I'll blank save checker. I'll yeah. A classic blank checker. He's a classic blank checker. Um, God, you know, the one we always talk about wanting to do, and it's come up recently, uh, Jimmy Cameron, the great Jimmy Cameron. Jimmy Cameron. I, like, keep on being like, oh, God, well, let's wait for, like, Avatar 2. Look, the man so takes a while. up with that, but that's, it keeps on. Now we're getting five of them. He, cl- he went to CinemaCon yesterday, yeah. which is a stupid industry conference of cinema chains and studios it's theater owners and the stars come out and they're like you gotta book my movie people are gonna love it which is makes no sense because it's like do you think paramount like is gonna like you know has to sell them on like mission impossible six or whatever like yeah. i think they're like yeah definitely like yeah. you know we weren't worried about that yeah, yeah. but like warner brothers sends kevin hart out and he's like please please put my movie it's in your not theaters. like they come out and they say like we've got this indie project but we really think it's gonna pop you know right. they just come out and say like the biggest plenty of avengers movies on the way yeah as if all these like exhibitors are saying they're going like I don't know if we should book a Kevin Hart movie. So it's just like, become, those movies make a lot of money. That would be a weird choice. It has just become another like uh, place for studios to just like promote their upcoming franchises and say like we've got films planned through twenty twenty three or what yeah, you know like it's as you know. much about your your Devin Farachis and your Peter Serretas and and so forth and hey, so look, on I, covering. I, I, you loved, know? I love Devin. I mean, I'm I don't know. That but, in a negative way. Saying, like, you no. know, Devin's fun because he he's at this thing and he's, he's like, calling bullshit. He's on calling bullshit on it. Yeah. You know, but yes, absolutely. No, but the sort I, of L.A. industry, like what, film blogger type. What I mean there. is that this convention that's ostensibly just to sell the theater owners has ha- as much become like a press event yeah. to show footage for the first time. Right. But it's a weird thing that doesn't really make sense anymore. Uh, it doesn't. Anyway, Jim Cameron was there. I guess who made Avatar Fox? Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and he said like cinematic universes. I got a cinematic universe for you. Avatar two, Avatar three, Avatar four, Avatar five. Right. So Avatar. And everyone's reaction was like, "What the fuck is that for? Av- five avatars? Avatar two? I think was originally supposed to come out last December. Something like that. Around now. That was like the original date. Because like the first one came out in 09. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that was the original plan. And he was like, uh, you know, okay, it's gonna take a little longer, but I got three of them. Yeah. And then it was like, we're pushing it back a little, but good news, it's four. And, like, no one's ever gotten out of Zoe Saldana or whoever if they've actually, like, shot Avatar yeah. movies. Yeah, you very know? unclear. The whole thing is always, I mean, the original Avatar was, too, where it was, like, people would say to Zoe Saldana or Sam Worthington, like, so Avatar, and they're like, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess so. I think I shot that like three years ago now. I yeah. guess it's coming out. Like, you know. There was, I, God, I wish I could uh, uh, properly credit this person, but there was an amazing tweet I saw yesterday after the announcement, which was like, Cameron announcing more Avatar movies while he also delays the like the next one mm-hmm. is sort of like the principal in Breakfast Club, like the scene where he's like, "You want six weeks attention? Let's make it six. He's like, right. "Fine, seven. Right. Yeah, like, it's like this game of like, wasn't Avatar two supposed to come out a month ago? And he's like, "Yeah, but now we got seven of them. Don't worry about it. I mean, we'll do Jim Cameron at some point. We should definitely do Jim Cameron at some yeah. point. Soon. Jimmy, Jimmy Cameron. Because I do. I mean, I think my tweet was along the lines of like, if Jim Cameron thinks we need five avatars, then we need five avatars because he doesn't make bad movies. Yeah. He also, anytime he's done something. Now, a lot of people think Avatar is a bad movie. But I disagree with them. are wrong. They are wrong. Hardcore Ben, wrong. how do you feel about Avatar? I never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> ben, Ben, do you know the central conceit of Avatar? Uh... There's like a blue race of people. Uh, do you know the height of those blue people? Oh wait, no. Are you, they're are, like ten feet tall? They're big. They are yeah. big. Get the fuck out of I here! I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, they're shit. like really big, Ben. I love this. I yeah. want to see this yeah. now. Yeah, you'll love it, Ben. Oh my god! All right, I'm excited. Um, I might. You know what? I might even watch that and then report back next week. We'll see. Okay. Well, and speaking of reports, I think it's time for our favorite segment to close out the episode. (laughs) The burger report. So, of course, this is a segment that we sometimes remember to do. Yeah, in which we talk about seeing famous people eating burgers. (laughs) It was inspired by that time I saw Michael Shannon eat a burger. And I saw some, oh, I saw uh, a Chivo. Chivo! Lubezki. <laughs> yes. So, and so now ben, it's a segment ben Hosley has... basically has seen every American president eat a burger while like getting like fellatio from Marilyn Monroe. Like he's seen like the most salacious, incredible things <laughs> when he worked at the Spotted Pig, a restaurant known for its burger. I just love that it's a segment that has nothing to do with the rest of our podcast. It's, it's, <laughs> but anyway, I like it as a through line. St- you were in LA. You were in I know. Los Angeles. And guess what? And I went to Umami Burger. Big Fat Goose Egg. Oh, there was nobody. Big Fat Goose Egg. I mm. saw my my bestest friend, Derek Simon. How's he doing? He's doing great. He's does a writer. he listen? He listens. Does he listen? I think he does. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't know. Hey, Derek, yeah. if you listen. Uh, he's a writer for Supergirl. That he was is. the closest I got to a famo. And I've known him since I was 10. Wow. So I, that doesn't count. It doesn't. Uh, so yeah, I, I unfortunately came up short, but I, I'm going to make a promise to the listeners I'm going to try to attend as many burger joints as I can in the next week. I'm trying to eat here less in New burgers, York. To I'm be trying honest. to eat more just because I, I feel like we need content. You know what I'm saying? But, Ben, uh, oh. do you want to serve us up a nice uh, patty? Yeah, are you uh, out, Ben, or do you have any more? No, I actually honestly could keep this going for a, a while. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, good thing because we're never ending this segment. Great. So, like, we've been like, Michael Shannon, the, the, the cinematographer from The Revenant. Ben's been like, Kanye West, <laughs> LeBron James, like Le- the most famous people. LeBron James got a haircut at the bar, and then I served him a burger. Yeah. Allegedly. 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 According to you. <laughs> Allegedly. Okay. Uh, so, um, Jay-Z's book. Oh, boy. This is already such a good start. Oh, um, Jay-Z's book. What was it called? Like, I don't remember. Decoded? No, yeah, man. I think it was Decoded. It wasn't yeah. that, but it was something close. So, he is like a, a, an, a part owner of the restaurant group that is, like, falls under the umbrella, like, that the Spotted Pig is part of. Okay. Yeah, it was called Decoded. Sense? I was right. Nice work. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, he, you so know, he he's he, an he investor. Has a, he has a little chunk of the, uh, the Spotted Pig. Exactly. And so he had an event around the premiere of his book at the mm. Spotted Pig. And there was a bunch of people there. It was really cool. It was like Chris Rock. Damn. 
uh, I'm like blanking, like maybe like Alicia Keys. Okay. Um, okay. Was but Beyonce a bunch there? of yeah, so that's that's what oh, the story is oh. like. How does he do this? How does Hosley. Ben do this? He's the fucking best in the best. Hosley. <laughs> that's how he does it. So uh, yeah, so um, the the uh, Jay Z and Beyonce came uh-huh. in. And uh, they were kind of just chatting with people, but then at one point uh, went to this, uh, if you know the Spotted Pig on the second floor, there's like a little like kind of alcove, like a little separate area. And when we have VIP, sometimes we'll put the curtains up so they feel like they're a little more secluded. Uh-huh. And so basically I got the opportunity to have some FaceTime with Beyonce and JC. <laughs> and they were super nice. They were really lovely people. That's very nice to hear. I will say, uh, I don't, I don't remember, I think. I, they might have got a burger. I don't remember exactly, but I will Ooh. say that Beyonce was wow. probably one of the most beautiful women, if not the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in person. Now, Ben, God. Are I you going to chew him out? A little bit. I mean, I, look, I, I thank you for sharing this story with us. But, but Ben, I mean, you, you're saying maybe they got a burger? We can't. We have listeners at home. This is the burger report. Right, Come right, right. On. Come we, on. we can't be wishy washy with no, this. No, okay. How about this? Beyonce, she got a burger. Oh my God. Whoa! <laughs> Medium rare? American cheese on that? She got American cheese. Smart. And uh, she, yeah, medium rare girl. I want to say something that I feel to be profoundly and violently true. Okay. If you get a burger with any kind of cheese that's not American cheese, you fucking suck and you're a communist and you should Whoa. be thrown in jail. Sounds like Strong I'm words. a communist. Yeah, yeah I'm baby. definitely a communist. Yep. Only American cheese. Because I fuck around with them cheeses. Nope. When I'm at some fancy place and they're like, yeah, we put Gruyere on it. I'm like, uh-huh. How about you take the Gruyere off and put on a slice of Kraft American cheese? I, I don't care know, if your burger's made out of, you know, filet mignon. You know what I say? What? I say, you can call me Cookie Monster because I'll take a slice of Munster cheese on my burger. I, I will say, Munster is a terrific cheese. Hells yeah. I it like, very, melts very well. I like some crumbled blue. No, you lost me. Love it. Lost me. Hey, uh, stay tuned for the next burger report. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> John Mayer. Oh. oh, that's a good tease. Oh, New York City legendary asshole John oh, Mayer. God, he, that's such a good cliffhanger. Yeah, let's that's just great. say he was wearing a puffy vest jacket. Don't tell us no more. Tell us no more. Save it for the next episode. <laughs> we need listeners to come back because God knows no one's going to want to hear us talk about The Matrix, one of the biggest movies of all time. Of course. <sighs> Love the Wachowskis. They're great. I'm <sighs> very excited to talk about this episode. I mean, this this these directors we were saying before we record this like it's nice to go into a miniseries and be like I, I excited don't, I'm not all bummed about watching any of these movies there are Absolutely. not these movies where I'm like oh fuck it's that time of the week again yeah I mean some people I think would disagree and say that the Matrix sequels or even like Cloud Atlas or Jupiter Ascending or Chores no they are not they're great yep uh, so have you there's not one that you don't like I don't like the Matrix sequels but I haven't seen them since they came out yeah you're probably still not gonna like them but we'll see know. I liked uh, Reloaded okay. But you're excited to rewatch them. I'm very excited to rewatch them. I strongly disliked Revolutions. I would say Revolutions is the only film of theirs I disliked, but I have not seen it since then. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, And I don't stand behind anything I believed when I was 14 years old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I also, at the time, strongly disliked them. But we'll get to that. Yeah. But next week, we're going to do an episode about The Matrix. The Matrix. Which was a a successful film that they made. It was a big movie. In 1999. Hey, you know what's interesting? Mm Mm-hmm. The Matrix. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sixth Sense. 
The Phantom Menace. 1999, baby. The, like, Maybe the, this podcast should be called 1999. Baby. <laughs> no, but it, baby. Isn't that crazy that like yeah. the three films that we've really focused on, that everything, like our investigations have spun out sure. of all, all three, 99. They're directors who popped in 99, which is generally agreed to be like a high point in American cinema. Yeah. And, and worldwide cinema. Yeah. But especially, you know, no, Georgie like Porgy didn't pop until 99. That was when he got his moment. He had a, he popped in 99. Yeah. Maybe he'd pop before. Big pop. Big Poppy. Pop, pop. Uh, George Lucas, we love you. Georgie, make a movie. Make one of your weird art movies, Georgie. Make a fucking movie about a car going around the track. Make a movie about anything. Seriously. And for all our new listeners, if you want to understand this bit, go back to our original three seasons of the- Go back to our original 36 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll get it. Yeah. The Phantom Podcast, Attack of the Podcast, Revenge of the Podcast. Great listens all. Uh, they are. Yeah. And then you can listen. Yeah, we can. We, we talked about M. Night Shyamalan. You can listen to that. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, uh, ben, you threw out last week the challenge to see if anyone could write a book report on, uh, what's it called? I Got Schooled, M. Night Shyamalan's. Yeah, and we've gotten some tweets about that. Yeah, a, M. Night Shyamalan's people... book about the uh, education reform, basically. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's his book explaining how he would. It's essentially the cookbook if the cookbook was focused only on fixing schools. But it's a lot of crazy ideas that people might not like. I found a review that's really annoyed at me. I should, uh, I should uh, read it out loud on iTunes. Oh yeah, please. Uh, this is from Steve Marth. Crabby David ruins it. Oh, but were you going to finish your point? Well, I was just going to say. So this is a running thing. You know, some people have tweeted us, shown us that they've checked out the book from their libraries. Of course, if you've read the book, you want to write a book report uh, sent to us. We'll read it on air. The first person to. Uh, uh, but keep it short, guys. Keep it short. Keep we might not read the whole thing. Two words, please. Yes. Yeah. But uh, first person, I'll say this, first person to uh, uh, send us a, a book report gets a, a ComTech chip. I think I still, still got some ComTech chips left. But mm-hmm. don't make the report anything like Griffin's book report. No, that was not a book report. Or, or, or you know what I mean, That was a no. research paper. Research but yes, paper. please. Oof. Use that, Let's use not that revisit as an that. example of what not to do. Review. Oh, Steve Marth, he gave us three stars because I ruined the podcast. Jeez. Krabby David ruins it. I was burning through the star. I can't read the whole thing. It's long. But we, apparently during the Star Wars episodes, we hit a point uh, definitely around the original trilogy, maybe a little before, and unbearable on Return of the Jedi, where whenever David Griffin tries to talk about something, David gets really crabby and makes him hurry up and says something like, all right, what's your point? Hurry up. Uh, it's funny once, but it gets funny and stressful. David, we're listening to the podcast because we like hearing you guys talk about this stuff. All right, buddy. All right, I'm sorry. Okay, but, okay. Uh, good review. Finish these, it up. Finish it up. <laughs> Get to the point. Uh, apparently, our friendly banter got downright hostile. I think a couple things. One, the Return of the Jedi episode, I got, I snapped at you. Yes. Because you were driving me crazy, but also because we were so worked up about the fucking Force Awakens. We were recording like three episodes in one day. We were recording three episodes in one day in between the day that all the press had seen the Force Awakens yes. and the day that we could see so it. So like there a was, bunch on that of our Wednesday. buddies had seen it. It was crazy. And here we were recording a fucking Star Wars And you podcast. start going on about Marsha fucking Lucas. Well, I think it's a fascinating. It is. It's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, but yeah. also we had to like wrap it up like tightly and we had yeah. talked about maybe Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi. That's all that's worth talking about. <laughs> I only fuck with Jabba. We had like two hours of movie to go and you were yeah. like, anyway, so Marsha Lucas. But uh, Love Marsha. Uh, but anyway, uh, Marcia, yeah, I, try, Marcia, I, I, I know I snap Marcia. at Griffin, but you know what, guys? If I didn't do it, he'd literally talk for five hours yeah, about and God I also, knows what. Here's the thing. I think that's the dynamic. Do you know what I'm saying? Hey, man, if you don't like it, I get it. Like, I'm, I'm going to be annoying and you're going to snap at me. You know what I'm saying? Right. And like, if you didn't cut me off, 
then you would have talked for 40 minutes about jerking off to a Kazaa clip of Bound. Right. And if I didn't... <laughs> and would anyone have enjoyed that? Yeah, probably. But also, but also, here's the thing. You don't want none of that. No, you would need a little bit, but there's right. got to the be, push uh, and you know, pull. it's a rubber band. There's the push and pull. That's the dynamic. It's salt and vinegar. On and a potential oil and vinegar. I don't know. What? You got, you yeah. got a, a poet laureate on your side. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the secret sauce. I, I, you look at reviews now. I would say like seventy five percent of our reviews now oh, single out Ben as oh yeah the element uh, of yeah, the, the show. The black dark side, uh, spelled like the DC villain dark side. Okay. Uh, gave said Griffin David are not the heroes podcasting deserves. Agreed. Agreed. We are not. Nope. And then Ben, of course, is a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole review. So. I think that's the end of our episode. I think that's all that You're needs a revelation, to be said. Ben. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's very exciting new miniseries. Mm-hmm. We don't totally know what we're going to do after this, so if you want to suggest stuff to us, I suppose we will listen on, uh, you know, we're at Blank Check Pod on, yeah. on uh, Twitter. And uh, Gmail. Um, we've had some thoughts, but yeah, nothing locked down. So please, you know, uh, maybe, maybe we'll do a, a Twitter poll at some point with some of the candidates we're considering and see what people want. Yeah. Here. I mean, we've talked about Cameron Crowe. Yep. We've talked about James Cameron uh-huh. Crowe. We've talked about Christopher Nolan. Yep. Who else have we talked about? A couple other I'm forgetting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some good, some good candidates out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We talked. We talked at one point about doing specifically post Oscar Spielberg. Oh, that's right. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spielberg after his uh, 1993 success with um, Schindler's List. His choices get really interesting they after do. that. They do. Um, a lot of good ideas. A lot of fun. Like, you know, what we're we here do having fun. is to keep listening. That's all you gotta do. You just uh, gotta listen to the podcast. So yeah, so bound. I hope we weren't too lame. I don't know. I think this is a good episode. I th- I think so too. It's a great movie. Watch the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, Watch and then the movie. next week we're gonna talk about the the ma- matrix. The yeah, the le matrix. Le matrix. Yep. Uh, thank you for listening. Yep, and uh, as always. Uh, well, before that, I just want to say oh. a big shout out to the Haas Hogs, the David Dog. Griffheads and the blankies and our 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 wonderful fans the blankies yes uh, and and as always uh-huh. uh, ap- apologies for for being shitty stupid bullshit uh, what? straight dude yeah we're fine I don't know this has been a UCB comedy production check out our other shows on the UCB comedy podcast network. 